Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Precine. That was beautiful. As always, you guys do a fantastic job. Um, Pastor Ernest uh, is on a well-deserved and much-needed break. Uh, he's up in Utah right now, or at least that's where he was the last time I heard. And uh, pray he doesn't get lost in the mountains somewhere. And uh, he's got a pretty good sense of direction, I hope. But he was looking for a place to get off-road with his Jeep. And um, so he's, he's just uh, having a, a good time. And he called this morning, and uh, uh, I had to get on to him. I said, you know you don't call a preacher right before he's about to preach and get his mind off what he's about to do. But uh, uh, he, uh, he wanted to call and just uh, tell me he was praying for us and uh, that he loves us. And uh, So you keep your pastor in prayer. Next Sunday, you're going to get to hear Jonathan Weldon. Can we get some lights up? I can't see anybody. Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't like the darkness. So if we could just raise the lights, that would be great. Um, and so, um, but Jonathan uh, and Abby are with us now, and it feels like Jonathan that you just. I mean, someone said the other day, said, you know, it's like they've been here a long time because you've just fit in so well, and we knew that that would happen. And we praise the Lord. So Jonathan's going to be filling in next Sunday morning. So you don't want to miss coming be a part of that. You know, I've been going to church since nine months before I was born. That's how long I've been in church. And I, uh, it's pretty much the same. Obviously things have changed. Uh, we're, we've got some modernized stuff. We didn't have, uh, you know, TV screens and, and stuff on the wall back here when I was a kid. I mean, it's changed a lot, but the core of what we do is the same. I used to though, go to church every Sunday, and I would, um, I had two books with me when I went to church, my Bible and my checkbook. And I just got a notice from my bank the other day that uh, they're doing away with checks on my, on my savings account, so I can no longer write a check on the savings account. Don't know that I ever did write a check on the savings account, but anyway, they're doing away with it. Uh, and uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, when things changed tremendously in our world, uh, we all got used to using this little thing for our offering. You know, it's been a long time since we put money in an offering plate. You remember those things? Offering plates. We used to pass them around, put money in them. Well, I noticed the other day uh, when I was going through my online banking, I realized... I didn't. Uh, I didn't go on and and, and put my money uh, in the in the in the plate, so to speak. I didn't. You know, I, I looked on there. I said, did, "Did I do that? Because you, you do so many things, I just forgotten. And it's not like going to church and putting the money in the offering plate. I just I, so I hadn't put my tithes and offering in. So I that week I doubled up, John. I, I said, you know what? I I'm, I'm behind. I gotta I gotta pay my tithe. I gotta put my offering in. So I did that, and I doubled. And you know what I've decided to do? I'm going to double again this week. I'm not behind. I'm, I'm, I'm up on my giving. I've been faithful to, to give. And, and, and I hope you have too. But, you know, maybe you like me. Maybe you forgot a week. And, uh, and when we don't pass an offering plate, there's no reminder. And uh, I haven't said anything. We haven't said anything from the platform. Everybody's pretty used. How many of you are good at, at using this thing to, to give online? How many of you? Just wave, wave your hand. There you go. All right. Uh, I'm pretty good at it now. If you don't know how to do it, which most of you do, you can come see me and I can actually walk you through it. So if I can walk you through it, Sid, it's, it's, it's easy. Uh, but um, I decided I'm going to double up my giving 
Just because, because you know what? Like, like I said, I've been in church all my life. I know how summer is. Uh, people go on vacations, people do things, numbers are low, and oftentimes giving is low. And so I asked one of the folks in the budget and finance, I said, how are we doing on, on summertime giving? And they said, well, it's, it's a little low. So I decided, well, I'm going to double up. And so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to challenge you to double up. Just say, you know what, sometime in August, uh, give twice what you were going to give. Or some of you, you're more spiritual than I am, more generous than I am. Maybe you'll triple up or quadruple up or whatever. But uh, just uh, uh, remember to be faithful in your giving. And, and you know what? We have a wonderful church, and I am thankful for it. And I, you know, I have a lady that I, I teach a Bible study. Uh, Donnie Bourne and I have been doing this for over a year now. And every week she comes and she puts, if, if I teach the class or if, if Donnie teaches it, she puts a $20 bill in my hand. And I say, Marion, you, 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 don't, you don't have to do that. And she goes, no, I do. This is my tithe. You're feeding me spiritually. I, it's my responsibility. And so, uh, you know, she gets it. And uh, we here at the church, uh, you know, every time I go to H-E-B, they ask for my money. Uh, every time I go to Walmart, they ask for my money, Jonathan, you know. Anytime I go anywhere to do anything, they're always asking for my money. And, and, and I don't begrudge it because I'm getting something. I hope you're getting something here at Main Street. I know I am. And it's my responsibility to make sure that I return that. Well, join me in your Bibles, if you would, in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. And uh, we're going to be looking this morning at uh, the vital importance of ministering to children. The vital importance of ministering to children. And I am going to put my clock up here so I can see it. Because sometimes I get to rambling and I forget what time it is. And uh, uh, now the subtitle on this sermon is How to Be the Goat. Now how many of you know what I'm talking about when I say the goat? Raise your hand. You know what I'm talking about? And I'm not talking about a little animal that goes, you know, and, and butts people. Right. I'm talking about the G-O-A-T. And the G-O-A-T is usually a term that's used in the sporting world and in Sometimes in other words, about, uh, it's an acronym that means the greatest of all time. The greatest of all time. And uh, in the sporting world, when they're talking about baseball or football or basketball or whatever sport, there are all these arguments and discussions over who's the greatest. Uh, in basketball, there are arguments back and forth about, is it LeBron James? Is he the greatest basketball player of all time? Or is it, is it Michael Jordan? Is he the greatest basketball player of all time? And, and, and uh, a reporter recently asked Michael Jordan if he thought his uh, bu- uh, Bulls team from the 80s and 90s could beat LeBron's Lakers team today. And he said, uh, yeah, I believe we would. And the reporter said, really, well, how many points do you think you'd win by? He said, two or three. And the reporter said, really, you think you'd be that close? Michael Jordan responded, well, you've got to remember, most of us are almost 60. <laughs> so there's no doubt who Michael Jordan thinks is the greatest of all time. Muhammad Ali let everybody know he was the greatest in the world of boxing. Uh, whether it's Tom Brady in football or Babe Ruth in, in baseball, bottom line is the greatest athlete on the earth today is a four foot eight young woman from Spring, Texas, by the name of Simone Biles. There's nobody close to that young lady. 
I mean, she's so good they're changing the rules of the sport because they're worried that other people are going to try to do what she does and hurt themselves. And so, uh, but people like to sit around and talk about who's the greatest. We're going to look at that when we get to the latter part of this chapter here because Jesus addresses that issue. But to, to set that up so that we'll understand the context and what's going on here, I want you to look with me in chapter 9 of Mark's Gospel, verse number 1, where we read that Jesus said to them, Verily I say unto you that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Here Jesus is talking to them about the kingdom of God. And Jesus has been promoting and preaching and talking about the kingdom of God even since before he was born. When Jesus was in his mother's womb, the angel Gabriel came to her and said that the child in her would be called great and be called the son of the highest and that the Lord God would give unto him the throne of his father David. And then when Jesus was born, wise men from the east traveled to Jerusalem asking, where is he that is born king of the Jews? In gospel of Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus began his public ministry 30 years later, he began with these words, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He taught his disciples To pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy what? Thy kingdom come. Jesus was all about the kingdom of God. And he taught in parables. Matthew 13, the whole chapter is filled with parables of the kingdom. When he died on the cross, they put a, they put a, a a, a sign over his head saying, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. When he rose from the dead, his disciples asked him, Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? It's all about a king and his kingdom. And so here, Jesus says, Some of you, some of you twelve, will not die before you see the kingdom of God come with power. Now, they didn't quite understand what he was saying there. But he then takes Peter, James, and John, three of the twelve, with him up to the top of a mountain. And on top of that mountain, the Bible says here that Jesus was transfigured before him. His figure was changed. His likeness shone like the sun in its strength. He saw, they saw Jesus as John saw him on the Isle of Patmos when, when God gave him the vision that we call the book of Revelation and he shone as the sun in his brightness and it was so bright said that they fell down on their faces they could not look at him and Peter was so scared and so awed by what he saw and what he heard there that he, he didn't know what to say. That's what the scripture tells us. He didn't know what to say. So he said something stupid. <laughs> and, and, and listen, take a lesson from Peter. When you don't know what to say, don't say anything. You know, they said the old saying is that silence is golden. But duct tape is silver. And if that'll help, just put it right across there and don't say anything. Peter saw this and he didn't know what to say. So he says, well, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let, let's build three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, because Moses and Elijah had appeared with him on that mount. And then a cloud covered them and a voice out of the cloud said, 
This is my beloved son. Hear him. And when they looked up, the Bible says they saw no man but Jesus only. What God was saying there was, do not equate Moses and Elijah with my son. They are not equals. And listen, Moses and Elijah were good men, godly men, prophets, men of God. But you don't put anybody on a par with Jesus. He is the only begotten Son of God. And so Jesus, there on that mountain, showed them his power, taught them about his kingdom. And Peter, James, and John got a glimpse of his glory. And then they head back down the mountain. And if you'll notice with me, down around verse number, um, let's see here, uh, verse number 11. No, it's not 11, a little further, about 14. No. Well, anyway, I don't see it, but I'll just tell you. You can find it yourself. He told them, don't say anything about what you just saw. Um, he said, don't tell. It's verse number 9. They came down the mountain and he charged them that they should tell no man what they had seen till the Son of Man was risen from the dead. And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one with another what the rising from the dead should mean. They didn't get it. They didn't understand what he meant when he said he was going to rise from the dead. Perhaps because of all the parables that he taught, they thought, well, this is another one of those parables. And what does that mean, rise from the dead? Well, I'll tell you what it means. It means he's going to rise from the dead. But they didn't get it at that point. But he told them, don't tell anyone what you just saw until I've risen from the dead. And so they didn't. And they get to the bottom of the mountain. And verse number 14 says that he came to his disciples and he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with him. And immediately, straightway, all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and run, ran to salute him. And he asked the scribes, what question ye with them? And a man in the crowd steps out and says... I have a son who has a spirit, uh, 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 an unclean spirit of dumbness. He, he can't speak. And this spirit, this evil spirit in him causes him to be thrown into the water and into the fire, trying to destroy his life. And I brought my son to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. And Jesus says, oh, you uh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? He said, bring the boy to me. So they brought him to Jesus And long story short, Jesus casts the demon out of this man and restores him to his father whole. Now, after these things, you look down in verse number uh, 28. It says, when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? And he said, and this kind can come forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. And they departed thence and passed through Galilee, and he would not that any man should know it. So Jesus is hes leaving the northern parts of Galilee, headed toward Jerusalem. He is now uh, about to arrive in Capernaum, which is on the Sea of Galilee. And he's finished with his earthly ministry in Galilee. This casting out of this demon was the last of his earthly ministry there. And he says here he didn't want the Galileans to know he was there. Why? Didn't he love them? Sure he did. But this was time for his apostles, the 12. He was ministering to them. He was training them. He was teaching them because he's about to leave. He's about to die and be buried and rise from the dead. And then he'll be with them for another uh, 40 days teaching things concerning the kingdom of God. And then he's going to ascend back to the Father. And they're going to be, as it were, running the show. 
And he's trying to prepare them for that. And this is twice now he's told them, they're going to kill me and I'm going to rise from the dead. He'll tell them a third time, but they just don't get it. He says here, verse 31, he taught his disciples, the Son of Man is delivered in the hands of men. They shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. But they understood not that saying and were afraid to ask him. That brings us to our text for this morning. I would ask you if you would to stand with me as we read God's word in verse number 33 down through verse 37. It says, And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, what, is, what was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace for, by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the, the same shall be last of all, and servant of all. And he took a child, and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one such of such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever receiveth me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his holy word. So here Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, on his way to be crucified, stops in Capernaum and in the house he turns to his disciples and he asks them, Hey, guys, what, what were y'all arguing about? What were you disputing about as we were traveling this way? Now, Jesus knew good and well what they were talking about. In fact, he knows every conversation you're going to have today and every one you had yesterday. He knew what they were talking about. Even if he hadn't been there, he would have known what they were talking about. But he says to them, he says, oh, Guys, what were y'all talking about back there? Silence. Crickets. They didn't want to answer. They held their peace. Why? Because the Bible says they had been talking about which one was the goat. Who's the greatest among us, guys? And Peter, no doubt, stepped up and said, well, hey, I am the only one who walked on water. Okay, you guys remember that, right? I'm the only one who walked on water. To which I'm sure one of the disciples said, you're also the only one who sunk. (laughs) And uh, Judas probably said, well, who did he trust with the money? Who's carrying the bag? Uh, that would be me. Uh, that, I think, qualifies me as the greatest. Uh, others, no doubt, had their word to put in. But they were arguing among themselves about who was the greatest. Now, think about this. Jesus is about to go to the cross and lay down his life in the ultimate act of love and humility. There is no act of humility greater than what Jesus did at the cross. And Jesus is on his way to the cross, and these guys are arguing over who's the greatest among us. Isn't that just like us? I mean, we may not openly talk about it, but we think about it. I could do better than that. She's not that great of a Sunday school teacher. Why don't they ask me to do it? Um, You know, Alan could ask me to sing a special. I don't know why he asked her to do it. I sing better than she does. We all have these same conversations, sometimes out loud and sometimes just in our head. You know, no one's ever asked me to be on praise team. 
why, why shouldn't I be running that ministry or women's ministry or children's ministry or this or that or the other? How come Jesus only took those three to the top of the mountain? Why did he leave us down here at the bottom of the mountain? Why didn't I get to go up there? I mean, he told those guys some things he didn't tell us. And now they won't tell us what he said. They said, no, no, we can't tell you. Well, what's that all about? That just doesn't seem fair. I hate that word. <laughs> That's a whole other subject, sermon. How come Jesus only took those three? Why didn't he ask me to go? I'm just as good as Peter. In fact, I think I'm better than John. I'm twice John's age. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, he says, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus humbled himself and served. Verse 35 says that he sat down in the house. He sat down and called the twelve and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and Servant of all. Now, when Jesus here, when Mark tells us that he sat down, that's not an insignificant just piece of information. When a rabbi would read the scriptures, they would bring the scrolls and he would stand and read. But when a rabbi was going to teach, he sat down. And so when the rabbi takes a seat, everybody knows, oh, we're about to get a lesson. We're about to be taught. And Jesus there in that house sat down and he's about to teach them a lesson. His lesson is on how to be the goat. How to be the greatest. They've been talking about it. They all think that they deserve to be on the right hand or on the left hand. Jesus is going to teach them that the first is the last. That success is service. That greatness is giving. That mastery is ministry. The kingdom of God, people, works on a different economy. It doesn't follow the pattern of this world. The world defines greatness in several ways. I've got four or five that I think of. But the world defines greatness as possessions. How much do I have? Positions. Where am I elevated to? Do I have that corner office? Who am I in charge of? Prestige. Power. And even popularity. But Jesus here does not rebuke them. If you'll notice, he doesn't rebuke them for desiring greatness. No, he simply redefines for them what greatness is. He's just taken three to the top of the mountain, showed them the power of his kingdom, his coming kingdom. And they're like, yeah, let's do this. We're about to be swept into office. I want to be on the cabinet. I want to be the vice president. I want to be the secretary of state. I want to be this, that, or the other. I want part of this power. And Jesus said, you want to be great? You want to have greatness? You want to be on top? Let me tell you. Let me show you how to be on top. 
And at that time, he took a child. Claire Bear, would you come see Papa? I didn't know she was going to be in here, but when I saw her, I said, can I bring her up? Come here, you. This is my granddaughter, Claire. Kissy Papa. (laughs) Say hi, everybody. When Jesus wanted to teach his disciples about greatness, he brought a little child into them. And he said, he took a child and set him in the midst of them. We'll say her in the midst of them. And when he had taken her in his arms, he said to them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name, receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me, receiveth not me, but him that sent me. Jesus takes a child from the crowd to illustrate his teaching. The word child, padion, or padion, however you want to, is perhaps a small child. It could even be an infant. Can you give Papa Smooch? Right. Go ahead and see. Give her a hand. He brought a child and said, Here, you want to be great? Whoever receives one such little child receives me. Now, children in Jesus' day had a different status than children in America today. They were more looked upon as possessions or even cattle. They weren't honored. You know, but when Jesus comes, he changes what the world, how the world sees things. And he says, receive this child. Now, let me give you a few truths about children and your relationship to them. Children cannot provide you with what the world thinks of as greatness. Children don't give you possessions. They take possessions from you. They don't provide you with positions other than Papa and Mom and Dad, and that's great. But in a, in, in a worldly way of looking at things, children can't give you that promotion you're looking for. Children don't give you that power. In fact, your relationship with children on that level is 99.9999999999% you giving and they're taking. You've got a small child in diapers. You don't get to choose when that child needs to be changed. Guys, you're watching the ball game and you... I think it can wait till halftime. <laughs> no, no, it can't. You don't get to make that choice. They make it for you. You are their servant. They don't clean themselves. They don't do the... Now, thankfully, as they grow up, they do. But what Jesus is saying here is said, listen, you wanting to rub elbows with the, the upper crust. No. You want to be great? Go down and be a servant to all. Because he, if you're a servant to children, what he's saying here is you're serving everybody. 
There's nobody beneath you. Everybody's above you. That's what Paul said there in, in Philippians. He said, let each esteem other, what? Better than themselves. And so the attitude is one of a, of a servant's heart that says, I want to find the least of these and serve them. And Jesus, in order to teach that truth about his kingdom, brought a child in and said, receive this child and you're receiving me. And not only are you receiving me, you're receiving my father. Ministry to children is vitally important. The word vital means it's necessary to life. And the truth is, the the flat out truth is this. If you do not minister to children... You will die. Now, I don't mean you individually. But a church that doesn't minister to children and make it a priority won't be a church for very long. Now, in the first service, I could use 20 years. I'll add to that this year. We'll say 40 years. Some of you will still be here 40 years from now. In fact, a lot of you will be. Some of us won't. 50 years from now, even fewer. You know who's most likely to be here in 50 years? John, it's not me and you. I know, it stinks, right? Little Claire Bear, she'll probably be around. These two children, I see sitting right here, they'll be around. A couple of girls sitting right over here, they'll be around. You see, it is our responsibility to carry the faith to the next generation. How do you do that? You do that by receiving little children. It's important. It's vitally important. Let me just give you a few things here about the importance of children's ministry. Um, children who learn the Bible to and learn to love one another and learn to follow the moral teachings of Scripture make better citizens. So it's, it's important to society in general. Uh, John Quincy Adams, 8th President of the United States, said, So great is my veneration of the Bible that the earlier my children begin to read uh, the, read it, the more confident I am that uh, they will prove useful citizens to the country and respectable members of society. Listen, kids who learn to practice self-control and respect authority, both of which are taught in Scripture, taught in your home, reinforced in children's ministry... Uh, those children are a blessing to any teacher in any classroom. I taught school for years. Kids who had respect for authority were much easier to teach than kids who didn't have respect for authority. See, where do they learn that? From mom and dad. And it's reinforced in children's ministry. It's important to families. It's important to future spouses, future employers. Listen. Uh, I've employed people. I've been a boss. I've run a a business. Uh, Those that were faithful and knew how to take orders were a whole lot easier to have working for you than those who weren't faithful and didn't know how to take orders. See, where do kids learn these things? From mom and dad, from Sunday school teachers, from children's ministry. It's important to families. It's important to uh, uh, parents. Listen, Children's ministry doesn't exist to become the parent. Children's ministry exists to support and 
solidify what you're training your children at home to do. We want to reinforce that. Children's ministry has had the effect of nudging some parents into more faithful attendance at church. Kid wants to go to church. Guess what? They don't drive. Mom and dad have to come. And that's a good thing. You know what? Children's ministry can bring unsaved families into contact with the gospel. I'm thinking of a, of a ministry in the church where my wife and I were in Rochester, um, Grace and Truth Athletics. They had uh, several sports for kids. One of the things they did was baseball. I, I coached baseball in Truth, uh, Grace and Truth Athletics. My, my son over here, he played baseball uh, in Grace and Truth Athletics. It was a children's ministry. Every game, about the fifth inning, they stopped the game. Both teams come together, the coaches and the umpire, and we had a devotion. During that devotion, five or ten minutes, one of the coaches would share something from the scriptures. There was a young kid uh, playing. His name was Tom. And uh, he was on one of the teams that, uh, that we had going there. And one particular game, uh, Tom's dad was there. And standing over by the fence, listening in on the devotion, Tom's dad fell under conviction and trusted Christ as his Savior began to come to church with us, went to the Bible Institute, graduated there, and Tom Street is now pastor of Naples Bible Church in Naples, New York. He said, where did that start? Children's ministry. Well, baseball game, devotion. Children's ministry is important. It's important to society in general. It's important to families. It's important to the church. It gives you opportunity to use your gifts uh, to serve the Lord. It also passes the faith on to the next generation. It prepares uh, future church leaders. No one in this room, besides myself, knows the name Opal McKelvey. You've never met her? She's no longer walking this earth. Opal McKelvey is in heaven. Opal McKelvey was my Sunday school teacher. She taught me God's word. You don't know Donnie Myers. Donnie Myers was my Sunday school teacher. He poured God's word into a a little boy. Helped my parents raise me through children's ministry. And I stand here before you today because of people like Opal McKelvey and Donnie Myers. And the lessons they taught a little boy. Patty Parnell. I liked her because she was pretty. <laughs> she was my fifth grade Sunday school teacher. I could go on and name other names of people who poured their lives into this fellow you see standing here. It's important to the church. It's important to the children. Listen, childhood is the best opportunity for a person to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. of people in America who come to Christ come to Christ before the age of 14. 86%. Another 10% between the ages of 15 and 30. Only 4% of people come to Christ after the age of 30. 86%. If I'm looking for good odds, I want to put my time in children's ministry. It's important to the children, to their eternal happiness, and it's important to Jesus. Jesus said, whosoever shall receive one such child in my name receives me. And whosoever receives me receives not 
me, but him that sent me. Jesus, at the very next chapter, his disciples, just like me, just like you, thick-headed, they didn't get it. There were people bringing children to Jesus so that he could hold them in his arms, so he could pray for them. And his disciples said, get those kids out of here. No, 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 we're, we got ministry going here. This is important stuff. Jesus is doing things here. Get those children out of here. And the Bible tells us Jesus got angry with his disciples and said, no, no, no. Suffer little children to come unto me. Don't forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. There's a man in the Bible that never did any miracles. His ministry diminished over time. As Jesus' ministry increased, this man's ministry decreased. His one and only purpose was to point people to Jesus, to make Jesus known. His name is John the Baptist. And Jesus said about John the Baptist, who did no miracles, he, he, Peter, James, and John did miracles. John the Baptist didn't. Peter, James, and John went on to spread the gospel all throughout the, the, the Roman Empire. John died at the age of 30. Jesus said of John the Baptist, who all he did was just point people to Jesus. He says, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. You want to be great? Be like John the Baptist. Point people to Jesus. And in particular, point children to Jesus. I can think of no greater place for your time. And for your energy than in children's ministry. Because Jesus, who said about John, he's the greatest of all time. Jesus himself, really, he's the goat. He's the greatest of all time. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And he said the way for you and I to be great is to serve And to drive that point home, he brought in a child and said, you receive this child, you receive me. I want to give you three walking points. Three things to do with the message today. Number one, talk to your children about your faith. Tell them when you became a follower of Christ. Give them your story. Let them know what your relationship to Jesus looks like today. Talk to your children about your faith. Point them to Jesus. Secondly, talk to your children about their faith. Have those conversations about Jesus, about sin, about salvation. And let them tell you, listen to them. And be prepared to point them to Jesus. Thirdly. Talk to them about your faith. Talk to them about their faith. And the third thing, the third walking point here is find out what you can do to minister to children by coming next Sunday to lunch with me right here in this room right after the second service. We're at 12.15. you got to finish on time next week, Jonathan. At 12.15... We're going to have Jason's Deli catered right here 
for you and for me and for anyone who will come to hear about what's going on in children's ministry at Main Street Baptist Church. Say, who should come? Parents of children should come. Children should come. Grandparents should come. And anyone in this room who was ever born as a child should come. (laughs) That includes us all. Listen, no, honestly, children's ministry is for everyone. Melissa, Morgan, and I uh, have been sitting down recently and going over and putting in a a plan in place for the future of our children's ministry. And next Sunday, we are restarting uh, Promised Land for our four- and five-year-olds. And so we have that on the, on the docket, ready to go next Sunday. In fact, um, Melissa, would you come up here just a second? I'll, she's better at doing this than I am. We have our sermon challenge is now sermon notes. Could you just give them a brief uh, once over about what that's all about and what they'll be doing? Uh, yeah, we're going to need a mic. Uh, let's see. Number five. Um, I think we're on. It looks on. Talking to it, we'll see. Can you hear me? No. I can yell. We don't need somebody smarter than me up here. There we go. Who is the greatest? Alan is. There we go. That's all it took. You just had to touch it. Okay, so for those of you who don't know me, I am uh, Melissa Morgan. Um, My husband, Ira, and I, and our two daughters, Emily and Sarah. Um, Ira and I have been teaching first and second grade Sunday school here for uh, just over four years now. And I have stepped in as your interim children's ministry coordinator. And so we are very excited about our sermon notes program. It's kind of morphed a little bit from sermon challenge in that we want to encourage your first through fourth grade children who are sitting in here during service to take notes. Um, We have a separate page for first and second graders who may not be great at writing out full sentences yet. Um, And then we have another page for your third and fourth graders who should hopefully be pretty good at doing that. Um, We have notebooks prepared for them today. If you have a first through fourth grader who's here today, stop by the table outside. We're going to give you a notebook It's going to house all of your sermon notes. So when you come to service, you have your sermon notes page. You may not be able to complete it during the service, and that's okay. Take it home and work on it with your family. Parents, this is an opportunity for you to sit down with your kids to talk about the service. Um, We are asking you to uh, write down the chapter, verse, and what book our uh, scripture comes from. Uh, maybe your favorite song, and something you have learned. Uh, Our older kids, you're going to put some questions you have or words you don't know, conversation starters for you guys to talk to your kids, because every kid in here can get something out of a sermon. And I think what you're going to find is interesting is that sometimes your kids are going to hear things and get messages that maybe you didn't. Um, So we have books available. For every four sermon notes pages that your kids turn in, they're going to get a prize. And the prize is going to be in the form of a $5 gift card. Um, We do want to reward them for diligence in learning to listen, getting something out of the sermon. 
However, delayed gratification is also something that's very important. I think we want to support parents in knowing that you need to work toward something. If you don't complete it this Sunday, that's fine. You bring it back the next Sunday and you'll get your sticker. So don't be worried, kids, that if you can't complete your sermon challenge or your sermon notes page during the service that you're not going to get um, your sticker. Uh, when you have it done, you show it to us. We've got a great board out there that Ariel made. Thank you so much. It's beautiful. And we're just going to keep track of all your sermon notes pages. But the most important thing is you have your own notebook, and you're going to take it home with you. So parents, you can look at it. You can work on it with your kids. Amen. I could stand here and talk for 30 minutes. So <laughs> I will just say, if you have a kid that's in first through fourth grade, stop by the table, and we'll get your notebook. Preschoolers, we always have a preschool worship bag and some coloring pages for them to keep themselves occupied during service as well. So, Amen. thank you. Thank you. I'll take that. All right, so um, that's one of the things that is going on, one of the changes, and a lot of things are being put in place. And what I want you to do right now, right in front of you on the table there, there are some slips. If you will just let me know, this is for my convenience, not yours, so it's going to inconvenience you to help me. If you are going to join us next Sunday afterwards for our children's ministry lunch, all I need you to do is just put your name on there and in the space in the middle, how many will be with you. So if you've got a family of five and all five are going to be here, just put five in there. And there's also a place there that says, no, I can't be here next Sunday, but I do want to be informed as to what's going on and how I can help. So just put your name in there and check that uh, line. And that way I'll know... Well, I won't show up here next week with not enough sandwiches. We would, Brandon, we might need you. We'd have a riot on our hands here uh, if we had an overflow crowd and I had like 12 sandwiches. So uh, so we're going to get sandwiches ordered, but I need to know how many to order. So please do me a favor. Just put your name on there and how many sandwiches you're going to need. And if you're not able to make it, just sign there. I can't make it, but I do want to be informed. And if you're not going to make it and you don't want to be informed, you don't have to do anything. <laughs> so but what I want you to do is sign that and leave it on the table. We'll gather them later, and that way we'll have plenty of sandwiches for our lunch next week. I am excited about what Melissa has in, in store and what we've talked about and the plans that are uh, already in place. And you're going to be excited about it, too. Um, at this time, I want to ask you to uh, get your... Uh, Lord's Supper elements. If you didn't get one when you came in, there are some out here in the foyer. And we will take our time here this morning to observe the Lord's Supper. Jesus.